couple months ago, I came across this phrase when I was reading in Exodus just one morning. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill. And in the margin it said, whose hearts were lifted. Whose hearts were lifted in wisdom. And anytime women are called out in the Bible, even though I know the whole Bible is for me, I was like, oh, that's for women. That's really for me. You know, that's specific. So my ears perk up. So I thought, I want to study the context of this verse, why it was said, and how we can apply it today. So this morning, I'm going to be teaching out of the Old Testament, which I love, because I love with the Bible that you can read stories out of like pre-Christ times, and because the Bible is alive, we can apply it to now in 2017. So here's the context of our verse. God has liberated the Hebrews from slavery, right, out of Egypt. And now they're led by Moses. They're out in the wilderness. They're grumbling. They're homeless. They've already made like a golden calf to worship because Moses didn't come down the hill when they thought he should. So they freaked out and made a golden calf so they could at least look at something and feel safer. And they got rebuked for that. So it's decided that a portable, movable dwelling place should be built for God so he could be in their presence, so he could be camped among them. Kind of as a comfort, but I think also as like the parental presence. Like when my kids are out front playing in front of the house with kids, other kids on the street, I like to be out there just as a presence to keep an eye on what's going on. I think it makes the kids behave differently and the parent can see what's going on. I saw pornography for the first time because kids on the street showed me pictures of naked people in a can. My parents didn't come out and hang out. I like to come out and hang out. Boys left to their own devices think it's awesome to throw sticks in bike spokes to stop someone. Well, if you think about it, you throw a stick in, the person goes flying over, right? They also think it's a good idea to handcuff a friend behind their back while another person comes to tackle them from the side. What stops that kid? Their face, right? They just, so a parental presence is there. It's like, that might not be a good idea. Let's find another way to do that. Hey, that was really mean. Or you just sit back and let things play out. But it's kind of a presence that's there for them. So God's like, I need to have... I need, my presence needs to be around. And the traveling home of God that will be built is called the tabernacle. So the presence of God being with his people is a major theme all throughout the Bible. So here we see him living among his people in this giant tent in the desert. And in the opening of the Gospel of John, the coming of Jesus is directly connected to God's presence as he's named Emmanuel. God with us. Listen to this amazing progression of God coming near to his people. I love this. First, what we're learning about right now, God the Father tabernacled alongside his people in the wilderness. He built up a tent next to all their tents and he tabernacled alongside of them. But then he steps a little bit closer. Then God tabernacles himself in Jesus. 
John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and did tabernacle among us. That's the word. Jesus tabernacled the presence of God among us. God the Son tabernacled among his people. He literally walked with them. And then he steps even closer to his people. When we give our lives to Christ, we become the tabernacle of God as we house the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And this word temple is about, it's referring to Jerusalem, the temple at Jerusalem, but only the sanctuary, the holy of holies, and the holiest place. So God, the Holy Spirit, tabernacles within his people. So he was alongside, and then he was among, and now he's within, within us. He takes up residence inside of us. God moved closer and closer until now we take him with us into every situation. And he's there for guidance, comfort, strength, wisdom, love, hope, joy, peace, the mountains and the valleys. When I was writing this, I felt like the Lord said, there's somebody that's in a valley that needs to be reminded I'm with them even in this situation. I'm with them. I'm in them. I'm in it with them. If you're in a trench, God's with you in it, okay? Someone this morning needs to hear that. He's with you. So God begins his instructions for this dwelling place in Exodus chapter 25. You can turn with me there. We do call this bagel in Bibles, so feel free to bring a Bible. I will put some scriptures up there, but a lot of times I'm just going to read it out. Verse 1, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. And then he starts listing off resources. These are the materials that you guys are going to need for my house. It's gold, silver, bronze, blue material, purple material, linen, goat hair, ram's skins, porpoise skin. Now, I will tell you, when I told my husband this, he was like, oh my gosh, Kim, when you say that, you have to go into like the person that brought that had a porpoise-driven life. And they totally, they totally knew their porpoise. And I mean, they got them on purpose. And I was like... Um, no. <laughs> Thank you, though. Thank you, but no. Um, but my question is, where in the world do you get porpoise skin in the middle of the wilderness? Like, is it manna from heaven and like porpoises stop dro- start dropping, you know? Um, but let me tell you, the word that is translated porpoise, some translators translate it as badgers, but it would take a lot of badger skins to make a cover for the giant tabernacle, right? But so what they really think it is, there was a sea mammal called a dugong that's more like a manatee. And they were actually in the Red Sea at the time. And there would be times where the people of Israel would be near the Red Sea. And so they could have, they could really have some of these manatees and use those as their 
for that purpose. (laughs) They needed acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the breastpiece for the priests. So where do they get all that stuff? Well, do you remember when Moses and all the Israelites left Egypt, Moses is like, hey, ask them for gold, ask them for clothing, ask them for whatever you need. And the Egyptians were so afraid at this point and did not want the Israelites around that they just loaded them up with treasures and clothing. In fact, they were given so much that the Exodus record states that they plundered the Egyptians. So they had a lot of this that they had taken from Egypt when they left, a lot of these items that were needed. Verse 8 God says, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. According to all that I'm going to show you as the pattern or blueprint of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. He's like, I'm going to give you a blueprint and you have to build everything right to my specifications. Our God is a very detailed God. He has the details of your life worked out. Nothing escapes his attention. The good things that you think nobody notices or the bad things you're doing that you think nobody sees. He knows all the intricate details of your life. He even determined what the priests were going to wear, like down to the clothing but he's also incredibly intelligent. He's not just sitting on a throne with brawn and dominion, right? He's an architect. He's an engineer. He's a brilliant mind, like he'd work at the lab, right? (laughs) Does anybody else have friends here that work at the lab, and when you ask them what they do there, they start telling you, and your eyes just glaze over? (laughs) And you nod, like maybe you understand, but you have no idea what they're talking about. That... I have friends like that. I cannot, I cannot repeat what they do. It makes no sense to me when they try to tell me. That's their mind. God made that mind. God made Einstein. God made all the creators of the iPhone, you know? He's, he's beyond. So over the next five chapters, Yahweh describes in great detail what this sanctuary should be made of, what should be placed in it, what the priest should wear. He's an architect describing his vision. I kind of pictured when I was reading this like a bridezilla. You guys know what bridezilla is? The bridezilla is the bride that needs to have everything just so. Your dresses need to be this exact shade of purple and the tuxedos need to go right here to the knuckle and the flowers need to be just like this and, you know... But then when I kind of brought the metaphor over, it would have made God, Godzilla. So then my illustration sort of fell apart, but you kind of get where I was going sort of with that. At some point, Moses must be thinking, how in the world am I supposed to do all of this? How do I get this done on my own? Remember, Moses isn't comfortable speaking. Right? He had to use his brother to do all the talking. And now he's supposed to be the foreman for this giant job to just, you know, make a house for God to live in. No pressure. Following blueprints, he doesn't understand. But God's not going to leave him stranded. God's already a step ahead of him. 
Has anybody else ever felt that way? Like, how am I supposed to get this done all on my own, God? This feels too big for me to do by myself. This feels too hard. When God calls you to a task, he's there and he's ahead of you and he's bringing things together for you. He's setting things up. You're not on your own in more ways than one. And I'm going to get to that. Turn with me to chapter 31. Now the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Are there any artists in here? You work with paint, you work with wood, you work with yarn, you work with food, you work with, right? He's like, I've given him all these artistic skills. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. God's like, hey, Moses. I've got you covered. I'm pulling together your dream team. Okay? And then he lists everything that has to be made. The tent of meeting, verse 7, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, all the furniture in the tent, the table, its utensils, pure gold lampstand, utensils, altar of incense, altar of burnt offering, and the utensils, the lava and its stand, the woven garments, the holy garments, the garments of the sun, all that has to be made, the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. Now, did you catch that? They are to make them according to all that I have commanded you, right? Those he had filled with the skill to do so. Sometimes, God, sometimes God's going to call you to something that you aren't necessarily skilled for. And you're like, God, are you sure? That's not in my wheelhouse, right? But he's going to bring people around you that do have that skill. He's going to bring a team of women around you, a team of people that are skilled in areas that you are not. He's like, Moses, you're not on your own. I've gathered a team to back you up. I'm, I'm bringing your carpenters. I'm bringing your weavers. I've got like a whole army of doTERRA reps that like, they got all their oils ready to go for the anointing oil, woodworkers, metal workers. I've got you, Moses. We are not called to be lone rangers, women. Sometimes, especially the strong women that like to be in control, we tend to just go for it alone, but we're not meant to be lone rangers. God loves community. God loves 
teamwork. It's in his nature. He's a triune God. They were all there, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at creation, right? If you feel overwhelmed at the task he's called you to, look to your left, look to your right, find your team. Find the people side by side to be burden bearers with you. So Yahweh fills Bezalel with the Holy Spirit and like supersizes his natural abilities. And he's given three qualities, wisdom, the gift to understand what is needed to fulfill the instructions, like to look at the blueprints and know what they mean, understanding or discernment for solving the inevitable problems that are going to come from trying to build this giant thing from the covering to the utensils to the incense. Knowledge is the third one, or skill, which is knowledge gained by experience. Like he needed to have the skill to do it. And I think these are three great things to pray for when you're thrown into something and you're feeling a little overwhelmed. God, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. And give me the skills that I need to accomplish what you've put before me. Bezalel is made an expert by Yahweh himself for every kind of work necessary for fulfilling the instructions that he gave to Moses. And has any, I mean, how many of you had never heard of this man before? Bezalel. And he like was in charge of the entire tabernacle. So let's go to chapter 35. Moses has his instructions now. Verse 4, Moses goes to the congregation of the sons of Israel saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take from you a contribution. You know, we need to start collecting resources. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as the Lord's contribution. And he lists again all the materials that they need. Hey, if you have gold and silver and bronze, bring it. If you have scarlet material, bring it. If you have porpoise skins for some reason, bring them. If you have ram skin, dye it red, bring it. We need these items. If you have oil, incense, bring them. And notice who he says to bring it. Whoever's willing of heart, bring it. And when this was written, the heart was considered the seat of decision. Now we say the mind is where all the decisions are made, but as women, I think really it kind of goes 50-50. We do make decisions with our heart, even though science tells us the mind is what makes all those decisions. He's saying, whoever's mind urges you to bring it, bring it. It's not a blanket, everyone must bring these things. It's, is your heart urging you to do it? Then great, go ahead, bring it. God can place an urge in your heart. Hey, I want you to go on this missions trip to Haiti. Hey, I need you to start taking care of the homeless. I need you to go to the hospitals and pray for people. That car you're wanting to sell, I want you to give it away to Shepherd's Gate. You know, he can urge your heart to do things. And then once all the materials are gathered, verse 10, Moses says, let every skillful man among you come and just make all that the Lord has commanded, which I think was like a huge relief for him. Can you imagine? He's like, now just go. Just go and do that stuff that I, I don't understand, but just go and do that. 
He says, every wise-hearted among you shall come. And that includes men and women. Verse 20 in chapter 35. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart stirred him or moved him. Well, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution. Notice how they're calling it the Lord's contribution to the work of the tent of meeting for all of its service and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. And when I read this, I had to laugh because when I was in high school, I used this verse to argue my dad that boys should be able to have earrings. Because the boy I liked in the 80s had his ear pierced and my dad was like, that's a sin. And I'm like, well, dad, you'll see in Exodus that I was fun to have as a kid. You'll see in Exodus that uh, they, brought, they brought earrings, you know, to the Lord. And that wasn't just the, that wasn't just the women, uh, so did every man. So the men must have been wearing earrings, you know. There's 17, 16-year-old Kim, you know, trying to use scripture. You can argue anything with scripture, right? So I thought that was so funny. So he says, so it says, everyone whose heart stirred him. And the other way to read that verse is everyone whose heart was lifted up. And everyone whose spirit moved him. Another way to say that in the Hebrew is made him willing. Everyone whose heart was lifted up and everyone whose spirit made him willing brought the contribution. So this word in the Hebrew, when it says heart stirred, the word in the Hebrew for stirred is to lift, bear up, take, carry off, and be lifted up. So their hearts took them there, lifted up and carried them to a place of generosity and a place of giving, of their time and of their treasures. And their spirit moved them. The Hebrew word for moved is to incite, impel, or to make willing. So on one hand, there's this prompting of the heart. And on the other hand, there's this urging. And I think that's often how it feels when God's asking you to do something, right? Your heart sort of carries you there. And then the spirit prods you from behind saying you're going the right direction. It's kind of the fuel to what you feel God's calling you to do. Verse 26 all the women whose heart stirred with a skill spun the goat's hair. All the women whose heart stirred with a skill. And in the margin, all the women whose hearts were lifted in wisdom. Now, it might sound weird to sp spun the goat's hair, but to spin goat's hair was actually a very specific art that required wisdom. It was said, in the eastern countries, there is a sort of goat's hair, very bright and fine, and it hangs to the ground, and the beauty of it is equal almost to that of silk. It is never sheared, but it is combed off, and the women of the country spin it. And at this day, a great trade is driven with it at Angora and Aleppo, which Aleppo's been in the news, and to know that there were women that would spin this fine hair, you know, I hope that is restored to them. I read that a peculiar skill was required for spinning goat's hair, and these women had that peculiar skill. And then I thought, well, women are sort of peculiar, aren't we? 
We see things very differently than men. We communicate differently. We empathize differently. We show love differently. We prioritize differently. Never let anyone make you feel weak or wrong about your femininity, the way that you see things. Your intuition, where you just feel something. The way that you might prioritize a person over a task. Because God needs his women to be women in the body because he's get, we're made in his image. He's given us empathy and the way we know things and the way we talk and the way we prioritize people. He's made us that way and he needs us that way in the body, in the church, and out in the world. So when the materials were brought together, verse 30, then Moses says to the sons of Israel, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. He has also put in his heart to teach. I love that. He's put it in his heart to teach. Both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver, a designer, an embroiderer, in blue and purple, in scarlet material, in linen, a weaver. He's put it in them to be able to do all of those things. I wonder if Bezalel and Aholiab had any idea that this was coming their way. It is thought that Bezalel was 13 years old when this happened. This was a big project. Here's the tabernacle. Oh, I, I, th I ended up moving that slide, so don't worry about it. I moved it to the end. I'll show you the tabernacle in just a few minutes. Um, so he was 13 years old, but appointed to be the chief artisan of the tabernacle, the whole tabernacle, God's first house. He was responsible for every element from the ark to what the priests wore. And I'd never heard of him. You never know when God's going to drop something into your heart. One minute you're dropping off your kids at preschool, or you're leaving a doctor's appointment, or you've just finished an overpriced run at Target. Only overpriced because you went for one thing and bought 10 things. Um, and then all of a sudden it drops into your heart, I'm supposed to lead a prayer group. I'm supposed to start a community group. I'm supposed to lead a prayer group at my child's school. I'm supposed to start a Bible study at work. I'm supposed to start fundraising for something. I'm supposed to start mentoring women. And he drops it into your heart, this task. Never discount yourself due to your age, young or old. Bezalel was saturated with creative skill. It was supernatural at 13. My daughter's eight, and I like to think she's an amazing artist. This is a rock she painted for the Livermore Rocks thing. You paint rocks, you hide them, people find them, post it on Facebook, they rehide them. It's this awesome community building thing. So that's a stick bot, if you know what those are. And it's amazing. It's a great, you know, she's eight. I think it's awesome. Well, then you might remember what Akiana painted when she was eight. <laughs> this is by Akiana. She's now, she's over 19. She was eight years old when she painted this picture of Jesus from dreams she had when she was four. God filled her heart with a skill. And she would paint for hours a day at eight years old. 
That is a supernatural skill. God can endow us with the skills that we need to do what he's put in our heart to do. So I'm going to close with some questions. What stirs your heart this morning? For some of you, it's going to be easy. What stirs your heart this morning? What lifts your heart? What lifts your heart in wisdom and skill? Like, I love when I'm doing this. What skill has he put in your heart to do? So often we stress about what we can't do or what we aren't gifted to do, and we compare and contrast with everybody else until we're totally on tilt, right? But what can you do? What lifts your heart? What do you feel compelled to do? And just start there, because there's a place for it in building God's kingdom. What has he put in your heart to do? Like Bezalel, God has put it in my heart to teach. I love teaching. I'm gifted to teach. I've gone to school to teach. But I was a teacher and a preacher way before, as you know from arguing with my dad in high school, way before I ever went to seminary. It's just in me to do that. It's one of the skills God has put in me. 31 verse 6, in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill. Every woman in here, he has put skill in your heart. He has put skill in your heart. A writer, and that's why I love the tables, have various things on them. They're not like Bibles. It's yarn. It's cooking. It's, there's like a rope back there. There's, some of these tables have various different things in them that represent different skills or hospitality. Writer, musician, teacher, administrator, cook, hostess, number cruncher, people person, knitter, engineer, artist. Notice how none of those sound spiritual. Not once did I say speaker, pastor, preacher, Bible study leader. Bezalel was Israel's genius craftsman who had the ability and talent to build a home for God himself. This is where I think it is, right? So he built all this with Oheliab and all their apprentices. And the inside, as you know, is way more, I mean, the material, the gold in there and the lampstands and the utensils and the Ark of the Covenant. He did all that, right? They built the holiest items in Israel's inventory. Bezalel had a crucial role in the development of Israel's religious life, and he's a craftsman. He's a craftsman. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a speaker. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a holy man. He wasn't a warrior. He was a craftsman. He'd be on Pinterest or have like a channel on TLC for something that he builds, right? He was a craftsman, but look how key and pivotal he was in the spiritual life of Israel. Maybe you teach, like me, but maybe you sew, maybe you design on computers, maybe you draw. How can you use that to build God's house? How can you use that? How can you use that to make space for him? My sister Helen was a nurse for 20 years. She's been retired now for many years, and you know what she does? She started sewing. 
And now she makes all the costumes for those big productions at Neighborhood Church in Castro Valley. It's called Three Crosses now. Um, and they're amazing professional productions. She works months on costuming and designing. And she has a team of people, because she couldn't do it by herself, she has a team of people that come alongside her and sew this, and uh, here's the design, make that, and works with her for all of these costumes. And then people from all over come to see these plays because they're so professional and incredible. So they'll come and watch Beauty and the Beast and bring all their kids because isn't it amazing? And then at the end, the pastor comes out and lines it all up with the gospel. And they hear the gospel. People are getting saved. She's building God's kingdom by just sewing, doing something that moves her heart, doing something that she loves. She's a craftswoman building God's kingdom. How can you use your skill to make a place for God to enter the hearts of people? How can you use it to come alongside others and teach them how to build his kingdom? And if you're not sure now, if you're not like, I don't know, ask the Holy Spirit. That's what he's there for. He's your guide. He's going to help you. He knows God's thoughts. He knows your heart. Ask him. And then at Cornerstone, we are about next steps. We'll help you take your next step. Like, here's my skill. Here's what I love to do. What can I do next? We'll help you take your next steps into how you can be serving God and building his kingdom. Our very personal God has put things in your heart, each and every person, for you to do. He has given you skills with a purpose for such a time as this, for now. So let's make sure we use those skills that he's given us, no matter what they look like, to build his kingdom. Let's pray. God, I find so much encouragement in this story, just that your house was built by a bunch of artists and woodworkers and like everybody looks at the priests and the holy men and Moses, but there were a whole lot of people around doing a lot of work to build your home that gave you a place to live, that allowed you to be among your people. I ask that you would, Holy Spirit, highlight for us what stirs our heart. Stir our heart even now. Lift it up in an area where we go, I didn't think I could use that for God, but maybe give us supernatural ideas on how we can impact your people and save the lost and grow your kingdom. I ask that every woman here would find their skill, would know what stirs their heart, and that they would be excited to use it in some way, big or small, to touch the hearts of people and to touch your heart, God. Thank you that you've given us skills and equipped us, and then you stay with us. Thank you for bringing people around us to help us to do what you call us to do. So I just speak your blessing on each and every woman here. In Jesus' name, amen.